Welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. It's the best edition. How can it not be? I'm your host, Tyler Crawley, and I know you're going to be surprised by this, but it turns out that skyrocketing home prices are actually making home prices, or excuse me, are making homes less affordable. I know. I'm as shocked as you are. So this is the latest from Adam Data Solutions that analyzed 569 counties across the country and found that 61%, that's 347 counties, the median home price of single family homes and condos in the second quarter of 2021 were less affordable than their historical averages. Now, this is a big jump from the same time last year when it was 48%, that's 275 counties. That's almost 75 counties, an increase of 75 counties. That's a big jump. But we've also seen a big jump in home prices. Now, as home prices climb, this has also resulted in the typical home cost rising as well. The report showed that for the major home ownership costs now consume about 25.2% of the average national wage of $63,986. Now, this was also a jump from the first quarter of this year up from 22.7%. I mean, that's a big move and is up from 22.2% that we saw in the second quarter of last year. Now, there is some silver lining in this in that 56%, so a majority of markets still require less than 28% of wages to buy a home, which is important because one third is kind of like the gold standard when it comes to home ownership. And so the fact that the majority of counties out there or markets, I should say, uh, still require less than 28%, that's important. Now, Todd Teda, who is the chief product officer with Adam Data Solutions, said that low rates are helping, but the future is uncertain. He said in a statement, quote, while super low mortgage rates have certainly helped in a big way, prices have simply shot up too much to maintain historic affordability levels. The near future of affordability remains very uncertain as it has throughout the pandemic. And really what this is about is the way the media portrays home prices. And this was actually something that I never really noticed. Uh, Kevin Williamson, who I'm a fan of, he's a writer at the National Review, one time pointed out that rising home prices are great if you're a homeowner. But if you're looking to buy a home, they're not so great. And the media always reports things through the lens of home ownership, which makes sense. The majority of this country owns a home. So that makes sense. But when home prices rise, I mean, that's great. If you own a home, your equity is up. You have more money. That's good for the economy. But if you're looking to buy a home, it's not good. (laughs) So there's a good and there's a bad with rising home prices. And that's kind of what we're seeing here with this report is that, yeah, home prices are going up, so fewer people are going to be able to be a homeowner. That's the reality of the situation. And also, we had a really weird situation with this pandemic, which I think is also kind of just thrown everything into kind of chaos. Normally, when home prices are going up, interest rates are going up. And so homeownership is even harder to obtain. But what we saw during the pandemic was we saw home prices going up and interest rates going down. And so for the first time, I mean, because when you think about it, when the economy is doing well, home prices go up. And when the economy is doing well, interest rates, mortgage rates go up. And so we saw the first time sort of an inverse relationship between those two 
economic indicators or not really indicators, but sort of economic functions and home prices were going up and interest rates are falling. And so it, it, it was great for home buyers because even though prices were going up, you were seeing a benefit by home prices dropping. Now that's not going to continue. In fact, the latest data we saw yesterday from Freddie Mac is that home prices or excuse me, mortgage rates have jumped over 3%. But if you've been paying attention, we already talked about that. Earlier this week, when uh, Jerome Powell testified in front of Congress, we saw rates jump up to over three, or is it last week? He testified this week. Oh no, the Fed meeting was last week. And after those statements came out, we saw, we saw mortgage rates jump to three and a quarter. So we've already seen that. And we know that mortgage rates are moving up. No one expects over this next year that mortgage rates are going to be lower than they are now. Now, at the same time, no one is projecting that home prices are going to drop. They're projecting a slowdown, but they're not projecting that they're going to fall. And so we're going to be in a typical situation, interest rates going up, home prices going up. Now, home prices aren't going to be increasing by 25% like we saw earlier this week on a year-to-year basis, but more normalized, 4 5 6%, somewhere around there is at least with the projections that I've seen. So we're getting back to sort of more of a normal economy. But yeah, it's going to price some people, unfortunately, out of home ownership, which is what happens when home prices go up. And it's kind of funny that it usually gets for, kind of forgotten about. It's always like, oh, home prices are going up. Things are great. <laughs> but it depends on your perspective. Your homeowner, yes. If you want to be a homeowner, eh, maybe not so great. And then if you're a renter, well, that's another situation because your rent might go up. If the person that owns your property is now paying more, they may pass that on to you. Now, speaking of renters, yesterday was a busy day for the Biden administration because they announced, well, the CDC did, that the nationwide ban on evictions would be extended. And they've now said that, no, 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 this is the last time they're going to do this. They're super, super serial this time. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, extended the eviction moratorium from June 30th until July 31st. The CDC said this was intended to be the final extension of the moratorium. Now, the latest data that we have shows that 6.4 million American households were behind on their rent at the end of March. Now, there's no doubt that number has shrunk over the last two months, but it is also undoubtedly still a problem. Now, the problem I have with it is that I'm not sure extending the moratorium is the solution. It's hard to create urgency when the administration keeps extending the deadline. You have people who might think, well, they extended it how many times before? Why not again? And that's not really a good attitude when it comes to getting renters and landlords to the negotiating table, because that's how that's going to be solved. This is not going to be solved by a moratorium and extension because landlords are really in a lot of trouble here. And what they need is money. And I know that there are programs out there that may be helping, but the really what needs to happen is these landlords need to sit down with their tenants and figure out if they can stay in the home and find a way to pay them rent and get that back rent back. Or if they're not paying rent at all, start paying rent again. And I just, I'm worried that continuing to extend this, and they're like, oh, no, no, but this time, this is the last time, which they said the last time (laughs) they extended it. 
is that I don't, I don't think it really creates, like I said, a sense of urgency. And I'm not trying to be callous with this situation and say like, oh, oh you know, they, they there's no urgency. I mean, people who are facing eviction and are worried about that, I mean, yes, there's an urgency there. But I think you need to get to the situation, you need to make the situation, take it to a point where landlords and tenants need to say, okay, what are we doing going forward? You know, I don't want to evict you, but at the same time, you got to start paying me something. And I feel like, I feel like this extension is unfortunately not going to help with that. Now, speaking of the Biden administration, yesterday they also endorsed a bipartisan infrastructure deal that will overhaul the nation's transportation, water, and broadband infrastructure. Politico reported that the bipartisan framework led by Senators Kristen Sinema and Rob Portman will include $600 billion in new spending on roads, bridges, and other traditional infrastructure projects. Now, this agreement is far from assured. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said that he supports the framework, but Senator Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has spoken with Republicans, said he is still listening. And even President Biden himself cautioned Congress that this was not complete. He made it clear that he would not sign the bipartisan bill unless his other social spending priorities including childcare and clean energy would pass through Congress as well. And this has been one of the big debates in Congress. What is infrastructure? Normally when you think infrastructure, you think what they mentioned, right? Transportation, water, maybe broadband. That's sort of a new thing that's been added. But the debate was Democrats were adding things like childcare and other social sort of spending priorities. But the Republicans are like, that's not infrastructure. That's a different debate. Don't put that in here. And so they haven't, but it looks like Joe Biden's saying, hey, listen, they're all still, they're all part of this process. So if you're not getting spending in other bills for childcare and clean energy, then this isn't moving forward. Now on this news, we did see a lot of construction stocks jump up. So people at least are optimistic that we're going to see this move forward, but uh, I wouldn't count my chickens just yet. It looks like we still have some ways to go. We are talking about Congress here, not exactly the fastest moving entity in the United States. Now, before we wrap things up and I send you on to your weekend, did want to let you know what happened yesterday with the jobless claims. The weekly jobless claims fell slightly, slightly for the week ending June 19th. That's from the Department of Labor. Seasonally adjusted initial claims fell to 411,000. That's a drop of 7,000 from the previous week. And the four-week moving average actually increased by about 1,500 to 397,000. Now, in a regional perspective, things were mixed as usual. The biggest increases were in Pennsylvania, California, Kentucky, Florida, and Texas. And the largest decreases were in Michigan, Delaware, Washington, Tennessee and Alabama. Now, the news was good, though, when you're looking at the overall unemployment situation during the week ending June the 12th. The seasonally adjusted rate was 3.39 million, which was a drop of 144,000 from the previous week. And this is also true for the four week moving average. It dropped 55,000. It was the lowest level for insured unemployment since March 21st, 2020. So not a ton of movement, but at least it's positive by being negative 
if that makes sense. It's moving in the right direction. It's decreasing. But it would be nice to see that number drop under 400,000. But we're in a weird place right now. You know, everyone wants to know there's so many job openings out there. Record number of job openings and people aren't going back to work. And it was it was kind of funny watching Jerome Powell testify in front of Congress because you had both Republicans and Democrats asking very leading questions, trying to get the chair of the Federal Reserve to agree with their premise on what's happening with unemployment. So I saw Republican Jim Jordan, who was asking questions, saying, like, this is all about because we're paying unemployment and it's people are being lazy and staying at home. Then you had Democrats that are like, no, it's COVID. COVID's the problem. And these employers aren't paying enough wages. And Powell, of course, is like, I'm not, I, I'm, that's not my job. <laughs> I'm not asking. <laughs> my job is not to say what you should do to solve the unemployment situation. My job is to let you know what's going on and let you know what the Fed can do. But I'm not going to tell you what you should be doing in Congress. And the reality is, is that it, and we've talked about this before. It's a mix of everything. I mean, I think COVID's less of an issue, but I do think the fact that you have schools and daycare and camp and other areas that maybe still aren't fully open, which is creating a problem for parents. You need to have one parent at home or if they're a single parent, they can't go back to work. That's creating problems. And then, yeah, sure, unemployment's playing a role as well. So it's, it's kind of a mix of everything. Like most issues are. It's like, well, you're kind of right and you're kind of right, but you're not going to admit that. So we're going we're gonna to continue to remain at a stalemate. All right, you guys, enjoy your weekend. I will see you back here Monday morning. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.